Good morning. It's my privilege to welcome you to Central again today, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. I hope that you're all wide awake now after getting an extra hour of sleep, or maybe some of you got up at the same time and you're looking forward to having an hour longer in the day, so you're tired. But either way you come, hope that you're ready to look at one more aspect of God's design. We've been studying God's design for us as image bearers this fall, and we've been studying the past couple of weeks what is God's design for community. We looked at how God sets us in families, both single and married people are set and drawn into the family, the family of God. We've looked at marriage and sexuality, and today we're going to zoom out a little bit and see God's design for the church, for His new people. What should it look like when God's people dwell together? Well, the Lord has a plan, and it involves uniting different ethnicities to Him and to one another and making one new people, a new humanity, a beautiful community. But what is it that makes us beautiful? Let's pray as we turn our hearts to Genesis 12 in just a moment. Let's ask the Lord's help. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we would behold the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of whom you've made us to be as your people, and give us the will to follow after you as your disciples. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 12. It's pages 8 and 9 on the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have one with you, we'll look at Genesis 12, and I will read Revelation 7, 9 and 10 following that. Hear God's word. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you will I curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. In Revelation 7, the apostle John had just seen a a, a vision of God's new people gather before the throne. And in the first few verses of chapter 7, he hears Jesus, the Lion of Judah, describing his people, counting the numbers of the tribes of Israel. But what does he see when he looks to see who these people are? Those who make up this new people of God, this is what he sees. Revelation 7, beginning in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Don't you just love how God's made his creation? I mean, it's so vibrant and beautiful this time of year in Missouri where we get to see the bright ma- red maple leaves. We see the beautiful, vibrant yellow ginkgo leaves. I, I love seeing so many different kinds of trees that God has made. The variety is incredible. I love the, 
the, the waxy green leaf of the magnolia tree. Wouldn't you know a boy from Mississippi would love magnolias? But all the varieties of the oak, the different kinds of bark, comparing like say the, the hickory bark to aspen bark, completely different. The sweet gum tree. Well, maybe nobody loves the sweet gum tree. <laughs> Trees are so different and distinct and beautiful. I mean, look at the flowers we have here this morning. They're beautiful. And what about all the different kinds of animals that God has made? I love seeing the the tiny colorful hummingbirds use their incredible God-given gift to hover stationary over a flower. But how different that is from the majestic bald eagle soaring over the water and diving down and catching a fish with its talon. It's incredible. And then think about all the different kinds of fish. God, I think, was really showing out when he used his divine paintbrush to 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 put the dappled red spots on a trout. They're beautiful. Or paint that red streak on the side of a salmon or the great plume on the dorsal fin of a sailfish. All that beauty and variety in God's splendid creation, so much difference that we prize and enjoy. And yet, sometimes when it comes to the glory of how God has differently gifted and beautified his image bearers from one another, different ethnicities, different cultures, different colors. Sometimes that difference feels threatening to us rather than something that we celebrate. In some ways, it, it's, it's natural. It feels safer and more comfortable to be around people who are just like me, to be around families that are like mine, who, who do things the way that I do, who eat what I eat, who sing the way I sing, who dress the way I dress, who sees what's good and what's wrong with the world exactly how I do. It's interesting that we can celebrate the variety of the trees and the birds and the fish and it feel harder to celebrate differences among God's image bearers. The reason for that is alienation. We are alienated from one another in the Garden of Eden as as Adam and Eve sinned against God, rebelled against God, and every one of us participated in it too. There's sin and shame and death and alienation that's entered into God's beautiful creation and that alienation affects us down to today because all of us are sinners. In a world filled with discrimination and hatred and envy, people being divided by their color of skin, their social class, their status of wealth, all that glory and diversity of humanity in our broken and sinful world foments conflict and division. It's God's plan. It's God's answer. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not here picking on any ethnicity or race in particular. We all do this. In one shape or form, every ethnicity, each person, really, because we all share that same heart tainted with sin and alienation. In fact, it's not just with people who are different from us, from whom we're alienated, but also we're alienated from people who are just like us. Because sin is an equal opportunity offender. Sin and rebellion alienates us from God and it alienates us from one another and leaves in its place pain and shame and destruction. It's done so much damage to God's beautiful world of image bearers who are filled with so much variety. But God has a plan to do something about that alienation. Two points for us this morning. The first is God has a design for a new people. 
He plans to address the alienation in in humanity by having a design for a new people, and that design begins with a gospel rescue. It's announced right there in the Garden of Eden at Genesis 3.15. If you turn back just a few pages from Genesis 12, you will see God speak to the deceiver, to the serpent, to the devil, saying, you shall bruise the heel of the offspring of the woman. That is speaking about the promised Messiah. The Son of God, Jesus, who would come and take on flesh, you serpent, you devil, shall strike and bruise him, but he shall crush your head. He shall deal a death blow to the serpent, to the devil, to death and judgment itself. God promised right there in the Garden of Eden that the battle against sin and death would end with the victory of God. The promised Lamb of God would take upon himself our sin take upon himself our judgment, take upon himself our condemnation, and even all the evil in the world, the Lord would bring it to an end as the Lamb of God came. And he designed a new people by promising to rescue people like us, sinful, shameful, broken, people like Adam and Eve. But it wasn't just about Adam and Eve in the garden. It wasn't just about their family as they kept God's command to be fruitful and multiply. As they did, the promise of God and his rescue widened to all manner of image bearers of God. And by the time we get to chapter 12 of Genesis, here again what God has designed for this new people. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, that was Ur, it was modern day Iraq. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a covenant promise of God made with his people. He gives us an identity. He gives, has given us a purpose that through the people of the promise of God, all the families, all the earth would be blessed. That's the purpose of the church. You see, through the people of God, he is showing himself to the entire creation that God has created a family, an expansive, multi-ethnic family touching all the families of the earth. And he's blessed us to draw us together. Now fast forward to the end. We go from Genesis to the end of Revelation 7 where the apostle John hears in his vision that enumerated people of God. These are symbolic numbers that are given there, 12,000 in each of the 12 tribes. That's far too small to describe the whole of God's people through the whole of history. It's a symbolic number. It's a 12 of 12s. It's the number for fullness. And they're called Israel there by the Lord Jesus, the Lion of Judah. But it says, then John looked. What did he see when he looked? What did he see that made up this people called Israel? Verse 9, after this I looked and behold, that behold is a command. It means look, see, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. Not just ethnic Israel, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what that means, friends, is that Israel, the people of God, is made up of every tribe and people and language and nation. That promise made to Abraham is fulfilled in the church. As the promises of God have gone all around the world and all these nations being grafted into one vine made one people joined to Jesus, the great crucified and risen Savior who now sits on the throne. That's what John saw when he looked at this people called Israel. It's interesting to me that that's what he saw. Every tribe and people and language and what he could tell that they were of different nations and tribes because they didn't all look the same. He saw and recognized that they looked different and yet they were joined together as one people. In other words, God's design wasn't that his people would all become the same. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, Gentiles, that's every ethnicity on the planet other than Jewish. Gentiles, it's 99.8% of us in this room. Gentiles didn't have to become Jews to belong to God. The uncircumcised didn't have to become circumcised. To belong to God, to be an inheritor of that promise made to Abraham, it called us to faith. To believing in that promise from any person all over the planet, no matter your ethnicity, believing in the promise makes you into the people of God. And image bearers who are grafted into Jesus don't have to lay aside their culture or lay aside their distinctiveness. The design of God wasn't to have us unsee the beautiful differences with which he made us. He gave them to us. But rather our difference and our dignity as image bearers of God, in all of that we are bound together into something stronger than what sets us apart. And that thing that binds us together is a person. His name's Jesus. This is where this design of God keeps us from twin errors in our culture right now. A culture that prioritizes difference. Some consider ethnic identity as absolute. Ethnic identity is everything. It's what's most true of me. What separates me from you is is something that gives me a, a sense of being valid, of being seen, of being important. Can lead to racism, can it? In all kinds of different directions. If What separates me from you is what might make me better than you. Racism and envy and rivalry and hatred in all directions. When we're segregated by ethnicity and ethnic pride, when we begin to believe that's what's most true of me, it leads to that rivalry and hatred. But God's design for a new people in Christ is to locate our primary identity in Jesus not in our ethnicity. Jesus stands at the center of my identity. It's not my Egyptianness or my Chineseness or my Americanness, whether black, brown, or white. It's very important, but that's not the center of who we are as a Christian. Jesus is the center of who we are. Being joined together by faith to Jesus and to one another, that's what defines who we are. We're bound together as a new people, a new humanity of all the ethnicities in one new humanity. But that 
truth also addresses the opposite error in our culture. If one error is ethnicity is everything, the opposite error is ethnic identity carries no importance. It doesn't really matter at all. As if joining the people of God makes your ethnicity erasable, unimportant, everybody becoming the same. It's not true. Ethnicity and culture are very important. They don't somehow get washed out in God's new people. We saw it there in Revelation 7. We see it in Revelation 21 where it says that the kings of the earth bring all of their own glory into the family and kingdom of God. All ethnicity is coming into God's kingdom. The goal of God's kingdom is not to be colorblind. It's not not noticing how we've been made, how God has made us. The Spirit of God doesn't remove our diversity. Neither does he make our ethnic differences go away. But instead, he joins us together as one people who are enabled to hear each other and see one another and honor how God has made us, finding beauty in all the differences like we do in the trees and the fish and the birds and yet remain connected together in Christ. God's design is for variety, Trees, birds, fish, especially image bearers. They were different from one another, yet glorifying him as we become one people in Christ. It's God's design, but living it out is hard, isn't it? It's very challenging, and that's, that's the purpose of Ephesians chapter two. That's what the apostle Paul addresses as his primary concern at the end of chapter two of Ephesians. How do we live into this new people identity, a people of God? That's what Paul wrote about. How do Jews who love Jesus and Gentiles, that's everybody else who loves Jesus, live together as one people? It takes the gospel. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 17, he that is Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off. That's Gentiles. That's us. And peace to those who were near, meaning the Jews. All both who were alienated from God. That was a, 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 an incredible statement for Paul to make in that culture. That not only are Jews or Gentiles alienated from God, but you Jews who lean on your religiosity, you are too. Both need to be reconciled to God through the work of Christ. That's what he says in verse 13. But now, beautiful words, but now in Christ we are washed by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, he himself, that's emphatic, Jesus himself is our peace. For Jews and Gentiles, for every family on the earth. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross is payment for our sin and a, de a, a, de a defeat of evil itself. Because God didn't merely announce peace, but Jesus stepped in to pay the price for peace. To take on himself evil's destruction, to take on himself the condemnation we deserve for all of our sins. So that the wrath of God, the price of our peace, would be paid by Jesus' body on the cross. For anyone who believes, no matter your ethnicity, no matter where you came from, no matter what kind of religious background you have, anyone who believes can be washed by the blood of Jesus. He gives us new lives and new hearts because when Jesus redeems us, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We don't belong to merely our ethnic group, but we belong to our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in verse 16 tells us, 
that he might reconcile us both to God, Jews and Gentiles, all these families of the earth being reconciled to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There are two hostilities that are put to death in the cross. First hostilities, God is putting hostility, his holy hostility with sinful humans, he's put it to death in the cross. Think about that for a moment. If you've trusted Jesus, given your life to Christ, if you believed that his crucifixion was for you, then God has no more hostility toward you. Think about that. The creator of the universe, the one who holds the power of life and death in his hand, has no hostility toward you, but gives you peace. That's an incredible promise that can change the way you live your life. If you know that there is peace with God, peace with the one who rules the universe, it changes your very life. Maybe that's hard for you to experience. Maybe you've had so much hostility consume your life that it's hard for you to believe that this authority like God can be in peace with you because all of your other relationships are filled with hostility. Maybe that's hard You expect God to be the same, just like everybody else. But take in the truth of the promise here, this beautiful truth that in Christ, God is at peace with you right here, right now. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, you can have peace with God through the cross. The cross killed hostility with God. The cross also killed hostility between different human beings, horizontally with one another, Jew and Gentile, Mexican, Chinese, Russian, American, radically different ethnicities, trusting Jesus, are united to Christ and to one another. Verse 15 puts it, his purpose was to create one new man, one new humanity in Christ. The Lord has set you into a new family, an enduring family, a permanent family, a forever family in the church. And that family of God should be far more durable than all of our other voluntary associations in our lives. That family of God should be more, uh, a higher priority, should give us a deeper identity than all of the other associations that we make. Being a part of the family of God defines you more than the golf or tennis club you belong to. Belonging to the family of God defines you more than your neighborhood. It defines you more than your college alumni association group. It defines you more than the high school you went to, believe it or not. Belonging to this durable family of God is more important than the refuge we take in feeling sameness in political ideology or political party. That's not the base of who you are. That's not the durable forever family God has given. Let me put it this way. What the Bible is saying here is that you, if you belong to Jesus, have a more common heart union with a Christian in North Korea, in northern Uganda, in North City, St. Louis, than you do with non-believing members of your own country club or your own neighborhood or your own high school. That's how deep 
and how durable and how permanent this being belonging to the family of God is. And yet we treat all of our other voluntary associations as if they're more important. We'll give up things with church. We'll give up the family of God to do something else. We'll leave a church when we get angry about something as if church is a voluntary association too. I'll just walk away. But friends, we're given into a family that's been forged by God, bound together in the blood of Christ. So we should be able to discuss things, even even argue about things sometimes without destroying our relationships. Even if we don't ever convince each other. We should be able to enter into these relationships without suspicion, without playing gotcha with one another because we're bound together in the family of Jesus. In fact, the blood of Christ should enable us more to be able to talk about hard things that may divide other people. I'll talk about the race or the injustice or the crime or the societal ills. We in the church should be able to lean into those hard talks that Jesus cares about because we share a durable bond because we're bound together in Jesus, not some family of voluntary association where I just walk away if I don't like what you say. But we're bound together into a family forged in the blood of Christ. Maybe that too feels hard to experience. (laughs) We live in a world that is fractured, churches that are fractured. But listen to me, this is important. We have a forward momentum because God is at work. He has already placed you in his family and he will help you, he will help me live into that new family by the presence of his spirit. Be encouraged because there is momentum in the family of God because Jesus is alive and his spirit is within you. How does that help? (laughs) Work through some difficulty sometimes? Maybe it's not your experience of a durably bound people of God in the church. Maybe it feels very different to you. Maybe coming back from COVID, you have a grudge in your heart against somebody else in the church. Maybe somebody sitting next to you in the pew. Maybe you have a grudge about mask mandates or vaccines or so many of the other things that were hard about COVID. Maybe you're alienated from somebody about the 2020 election. Maybe it goes back to the 2016 election. Maybe you feel alienated about how you view protests What are we supposed to do about this? Maybe you feel alienated because in the car on the way to church this morning, you fought with people the whole way here and now you put on your smile when you walk in the door. It's hard to live into this truth that we are a family forged in the blood of Christ and one of the best places to go when we're struggling with this truth We're struggling to remember the family bonds of the family of Jesus. One of the best places to go is side by side to the Lord's Supper table. Where we have a fellowship meal, not only with Jesus, but with each other as his people. You see, the Lord gives us new hands when we come into his family. He gives us new hands that pass on the love of God to one another. As you pass the plate, the communion plate, to the person next to you are passing to them a demonstration of the love of God. We need that to be bound together as the people of God. You see, the Lord's Supper, I hope you understand, is not just about you and Jesus. 
Please don't turn the Lord's Supper into a private sacrament of just you and Jesus. But the rest of the family of God are here at this table too. Just like when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, it wasn't individual about Jesus and John, Jesus and Peter. Jesus, it was them together as a family, as a people joined to him. Same thing happens here in church where there's a great leveling when we come to the Lord's table, when we pass the plate to another person in fellowship with them. Maybe the person to whom you give the plate is somebody who scolded you, someone who shamed you about something. Someone with whom you have a sharp disagreement about something. Someone who hurt you and yet we pass the plate. Because next to me is a person who may have hurt me but for whom Jesus died. That he sacrificially gave himself completely for them just like he's given himself for me. And so when you pass the plate, remember how much he's forgiven you and then you turn and offer that same forgiveness and grace that you have received to the person sitting next to you who desperately needs it too. Remember we're in the family of God when we pass the plate one to another and celebrate that we are joined together. Because you see, when we gather at his table, we're being prepared for a bigger banquet. That marriage supper of a lamb in Revelation 19 on the last day when we will see what John saw. We will see every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered to lift high the name of Jesus in fellowship at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we become his people in beauty and forever. We will look different. We will sound different, but we will be one. So when we come to the table today, it's practice. It's practice for us to put on those new hearts and those new hands as Jesus has set us in the family of God, a family to love one another and a family to serve one another. Let's encourage one another in this durable, blood-bought family today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way you've made your creation and it's beautiful. It's diverse in so many ways. There's so many different things for which to praise you from the giant planets in the sky to the tiny atoms in our body. Lord, we praise you for all that you've made. We praise you that humanity is glorious in our distinctions and difference, and yet, Lord, we, as your people, say that we are one. We are one because Jesus died for us. So, Lord, help us to be a people who pass along and share the love of Christ with one another. May we do that together this morning. So we pass the plate to the person next to us and we celebrate together being bound together to you. Would you help old wounds be cast aside? Would you help us put to rest old divisions that fester? Help us be bound in a durable family knowing that we belong to you and we belong to each other. Do that among us here. Heal us, Emmanuel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.